We are going through John's Gospel, and we've gotten to Golgotha, to the crucifixion of Christ. And there on the cross, Jesus says seven things. The first thing he says is not in John. It's in Luke. That's why we were there last week, where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second thing he says is not in John. It's where we're at this morning. He says to the thief, verily I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The third thing he says is back in John, and that's when he addresses John and his mother from the cross. The fourth thing he says, the central thing, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, is in Matthew and Mark, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It isn't in John, neither is the darkness there in John. But coming out of the darkness, John tells us that Jesus said, I thirst. And then John tells us wonderfully, he said, it is finished. Remarkable. And then Luke tells us the last thing he said is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he gives up the ghost. So we're kind of going through those things that Christ said from the cross, each of them remarkable in and of themselves there. He's nailed in agony, uh, unimaginable what's happening as we get further in. We'll look, look at Psalm 22. He's surrounded not just with humans, but with principalities and powers in a, in a remarkable scene. And as we get to this second Saying, We'll pick it up in Luke chapter 23, verse 35. And it says there, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also um, with them derided him. And Matthew tells us it was the scribes, um, the scribes, the elders, and the chief priests, which is this, it's the whole Sanhedrin. Basically, you think they'd have been done with them in Jerusalem. They got their way. They'd be finished. But no, now this most prestigious group of religious leaders comes out to the hill to Golgotha. And they're mocking him as he's dying in agony. He's been spit on. He's been beaten. He's been crucified as a criminal. And now you have these supposed respectable religious leaders. They're there mocking him. And they're saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ. If he's the Messiah, the chosen of God. And then the soldiers, they join in because of the religious leaders. The soldiers also mocked him. Uh, coming to him and offering him vinegar, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, because that's what Pilate had them put over his head, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a superscription also was written over him, notice, so it's a typical shaped cross, in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew that said, this is the king of the Jews. John tells us it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And here's what we see in our study today. It says, and one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. And the other answered, rebuking him, saying, dost not thou fear God? 
seeing that thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we have received the due reward notice of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And then he turns to Jesus, he said, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, now the second thing he says from the cross, Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This record of what we call the penitent thief. The, the two thieves, he's crucified between them, both of them arm's length from salvation, from the Savior. Both of them respond differently, though exposed to the same thing. And I think God makes this so clear. On this hill, there are three crosses. Jesus is crucified between two thieves. We've all have that image in our mind. We've seen it on bumper stickers and hats and album covers and so forth. Those three crosses. And it's because God so loved the world that he's preserved this record through Luke by the Holy Spirit. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, and one of these thieves is a whosoever, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, it tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, as we're here, and forever. And no doubt it's important to him right now for you and I to understand what he's placed in front of us this morning. Probably on this day, right around nine o'clock in the morning, these three men arrive at Golgotha. Jesus is nailed to his cross and begins to pray. And the tenses tell us he continues to say it, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Evidently, as they stand the cross up, he's saying it over, Father, forgive them. So they know, you know, as they're mocking him, probably continuing to say it then, remarkable. And then you have the other two that are crucified as well. But I'm sure as they're crucified, they're screaming, they're cursing, they're in agony, there's anger. And as they're nailed to their cross, there's a placard put above their head as well that has their name. It has the crime they committed, their malefactors, Luke tells us, which means criminal. Both Matthew and Mark tell us they're thieves, which have a broader picture of, of criminality and, and insurrection. Uh, and above their head is placed their name, their crime, and then their family name to bring about humiliation. And on Jesus' side, it tells us in Matthew and Mark on either side, God doesn't have him crucified with two thieves on this side or two thieves on that side, which you would think would be the normal order. But Jesus is crucified in between them. Maybe Pilate said, do this and put king of the Jews over his head to bother these religious people that have driven me out of my mind. Tradition tells us we know 
little about them, obviously, except what the scripture tells us. Tradition, early church tradition tells us that this thief that was saved this day, his name is Dismas, D-Y-S-M-A-S. And that word means sunset. Now, we don't know that for sure. It's not in the scripture. It's just tradition. But whatever his name was, we do know for sure the sunset he had this day was different than the sunset he had had on any other day of his life. There he stood up next to Christ. Now, it's no mistake that this is happening deliberately. Mark tells us that he was crucified between thieves, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 12, that he was numbered among transgressors. It tells us in Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 12, that God watches over his word to make sure that it's performed. This is a scene that had been in the heart of the Father through eternity, and now it's happening. Now Jesus is there where he had been slain before the foundation of the world, and these three crosses are there for us, and they're there so that this God who loves us so could put this image before us, this sermon, this picture, that you and I might realize what it cost heaven, what it cost Christ, and what it cost these two thieves, and how one of them was redeemed and the other one wasn't. Same distance from the cross, either one of them. Now look, these men are essentially the same. There's no difference. They're both thieves. They're both being crucified. They both know they're going to die on that day. Yet one is saved. One is lost. The one that's saved is not saved by legalism. He's not saved because he got baptized. He's not saved because he had communion. He's not saved because he, he had church membership. He's not saved because he's doing penance. He's not saved because he made a pilgrimage to a holy place. His feet are nailed down. He's not saved because he's made confession to a priest. He's not saved because he's turning over a new leaf. He's not saved because he's praying to Mary. He's not saved because he's gone to Mass. His hands and his feet are nailed down, both of them, and the only thing that can participate is his heart. Not his physical heart, the deepest part of his being, his spirit. This text drives out the window for us, purgatory, because Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me. There's no purgatory, there's none of that in this picture. There's no soul sleep, which some of the old Pentecostals thought that you die, then your soul sleeps in the body of the Lord. No, he says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. No sleeping going on there. There's no universalism. You can get to God however you want. It has to be through Christ. There's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. And we see them there then in this great commonality. And we watch them because both Matthew and Mark tell us that initially they're both reviling Christ. They see the religious leaders reviling him. 
and mocking him. You're the Messiah. You said you're going to tear down the temple, raise it again. Let's see you save yourself. If you're the Messiah, come down from the cross. He saved others. He can't save himself. The Roman soldiers are hearing it. So they join in the mocking. Oh, you're the king of the Jews. That's a big joke to them. And it was to them. And these thieves then, we're told both of them initially, even the one who gets saved, both of them are mocking Jesus and screaming at him. Both of them. And then as we watch the scene, it it changes, it evolves to a point as they're both crying. You know, the one thief's going to say to the other thief, what are you doing? Which means they're communicating with each other in the agony of being nailed there. The interesting thing is Christ is between them. So as they talk to each other, he's in view between them. They both see him. And one of those thieves then begins to look at him. And Isaiah Isaiah tells us, chapter 52, verse 14, that his visage was so marred more than that of any man. He was beaten beyond human recognition. His face didn't look like a human face. And one of the themes, just kind of looking at him, everybody mocking and making fun of him. But out of his mouth, he hears, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Beaten beyond recognition. His, ri- his beard, we're told, has been ripped out of his face. You can imagine the blood as this one thief is looking at him. The other thief sees the same thing. Then there's a crown of thorns on his head, a mock crown for a king. And you wonder if the one thief thought, this is part of the curse. This is what God said to Adam and when he cursed him, that the ground would bring forth thorns and thistles. This is what Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Is he thinking? as he's looking at all of this, as it's before his eyes. Then he looks higher and he sees the placard, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus, we know, because Gabriel came to Joseph and said, you shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yeshua, Yehovah Shua, It means God is our salvation, or it means salvation. And you think, why does that thief think when he looks up? Evidently, they thought different things, but the one of them sees salvation, Jesus. Then he sees of Nazareth, which was despised. All the religious leaders of Judeans despised. Nathaniel would say to Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was the hood. And yet, this person's thinking, that's my neighborhood. That's my neighborhood. I'm despised. I'm rejected. He understands somehow thinking those things. King was there of the Jews. And somehow that begins to ring in his heart. Look, there was no outward evidence that was true except in the man on the middle cross himself. 
the dignity that he displayed. His body didn't look like a king. His face didn't look like a king. His crown didn't look like a king's crown. A king should have been on the cross, but his personage, his dignity, that he could say to the women, weep not for me, you daughters of Jerusalem, but rather weep for your children, for your families with brokenness, that he could be brutalized, hung to this cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was nothing kingly about the circumstance, but there was something kingly enough about Jesus himself that this one heart begins to wear down. And he's overwhelmed, he must be in a sense, with his innocence. And he finally says then, it tells us, it says, the other malefactor, as they're both started, they're making fun. But the other malefactor answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, the reason? Seeing thou were in the same condemnation. Why? And we indeed justly, because we have received the due reward of our deeds. But this man... Hath not, he's, he's innocent. He hasn't done anything amiss. Look at him. Listen to what's coming out of his mouth. Look at the, you know, he, the one guy finally wakes up and he's different. And it's, it begins with fear. He realizes he's going to die. Look, we hear from a lot of people. Yeah, when, I'm, when I die, I'm going to talk to the man upstairs. You know, you think, oh, you don't know. You have no idea what you're saying, you know. And then somehow when they get in hospice, they're pray for me. There's, there, for most of them, there comes a change when you're facing death. This guy knows he, he's not coming down to go on vacation. This is it. He's crucified, and he's going to die a miserable, painful death, and it's just beginning. And somehow the fear of God comes over him. He's not an agnostic. We'll wait. An agnostic is someone who questions God. Is he really there? Latin word is ignoramus. But it, it's, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm not making jokes. Uh, kind of. And he's not an agnostic. Questioning whether there is a God. He's not an atheist. Saying there is no God. And you should not believe any atheist. Because to be able to say, I know there's no God, means you looked over this sanctuary. You went through every Sunday school room. You looked in every car, in the trunk of every car in the parking lot. You did that in every building in Philadelphia. You did it in every building, every place, every cave in the state of Pennsylvania. You did it in all 50 states everywhere, every single place. You did it in every country of the world, in every city. You did it in different dimensions. You did it in outer space. You did it on Mars. You did it on the moon. If you're an atheist, that's what you're saying. I know there's no God. You don't know nothing. This guy's not an atheist. He's not an agnostic. He believes there is a God. And knowing that he's going to face them on this day, all of a sudden there's a measure of fear in his heart. And he says, you know, our punishment is just. You're owning something when you say that. We deserve this. It's because of our deeds. But there's a difference. This, this, this one's innocent. This one, 
he's done nothing amiss. There's not even an accusation over his head. And look, that's the first steps towards genuine salvation. Fear of God. And then owning, confessing your own sins. And then it's repentance turning away from them. And it's so important. Look, maybe you're here today and you've never come to Christ. You have to understand God loves you so much that he wants to put this in front of you. He wants you to see it clearly. He knows sometimes we're not good with reading, so he gives us an image. You know, because with people, sometimes things can go in one ear and out the other, but nothing goes in one eye and out the other. There's a hill with three crosses on it here in front of us. Paul will say that God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what he's putting in front of us. And we watch the heart of this one man changing and owning the fact that he's sinned, his deeds have been evil, and he's owning the fact that his penalty, the punishment, is just. Look, that's huge because we live in a no-fault society. We live in a society where everybody's innocent. You get a ticket for speeding, and it ain't your fault. There was a drunk behind you, and you were trying to get away from him. It ain't your fault. Everybody was going that speed. You get in a wreck. It wasn't because you were speeding. It wasn't your fault. Yeah, you T-boned the guy, but... He was going through a green light that was ready to change, and you were going through a red light that was ready to change. It was his fault. You're in a divorce. Sad. That happens in Christian homes. But we so often hear innocence on both sides. It's a no-fault situation. In a court case. In a lawsuit. Moral failure. We look at our nation, racism, hatred, Washington, Ukraine, war, insanity, and it's nobody's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. We live in a culture that cannot take responsibility for anything. You can be as immoral as you want, and the person who brings that to your attention is the person who's guilty. You can sex traffic children and bring things into our public schools and elementary schools and do whatever you want. And anybody who says anything, they're the problem. We live in a no-fault culture. And nobody wants to hear, I'm a sinner. They don't want to hear that. Jesus died for your sins. Ah, they don't want to hear it. This guy hears something in his heart. And every human being who's honest in their heart knows we have an innate sense that there is a God. And the fear of that truth comes over this man's heart. And he says, you know, we deserve this. Think of what we've done, our deeds. I'm afraid I'm going to face the end like this. 
It says that what he does then is he turns to Jesus and he said to him, Lord, verse 42, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, and you think what a gift this is to Jesus. The last thing that anybody says to him before his death is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. People are mocking him, screaming things at him. He talks to his mother and to John. But the last thing that someone says to him personally on that cross is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What, a, what an incredible gift. What a foretaste. What, what a treasure from the Father. You think of the Father's heart. You know, this is why I'm paying the price. This is why I so love the world. I sent my son. You think of the heart of Christ. Here's the first one that's going to be gathered in. It says, King James, it says, Lord, remember me. Your translation might just say, Lord, you know, I mean, might just say, remember me. He said to Jesus, the issue is going to be the same. But it does say, Lord, in my Bible, King James says it in the New King James. It says it in the Peshitta. It says it in uh, the Pilgrim Bible. It says it in the Geneva Bible. It says it in the Peshitta. It says it in the Tyndale's translation. It says it in uh, OOC3 uh, and O4D. It says it in major codices. Yeah, the idea is there's re- some reason for it. It's not just in sneak in there. But I think how remarkable for Jesus to hear that. Now, he hears it either way. He hears the man's heart. We're going to see that. But for him to hear a Lord. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He's looking at him and he's realizing every kingdom has a king. He has a kingdom. He must be a king. His plea, this is just remarkable because there is not a shred of evidence by the circumstances surrounding this situation that Jesus is Lord or that he is king or that he has a kingdom. There's no evidence at all. You know, this is one of the most remarkable conversions in the scripture. Paul of Tarsus has nothing on this guy. Jesus has to, you know, appear to Saul of Tarsus and be brighter than the noonday sun, knock him off his horse and talk to him from heaven. And Paul says, Lord. This guy says it with no evidence. This is like hoping to get rescued by a drowning lifeguard. You know, you just imagine the conviction in the heart of this man to say this to Christ under these circumstances. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Incredible. Incredible. And then the Lord's answer, of course, to him. He says, Verily, I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. What a remarkable answer he gives to him. No strings attached. All grace. But I hope you see from this record, it's not a cheap grace. It cost heaven everything. And it cost Jesus everything. And it cost the thief nothing. 
as it cost us nothing. And see, we're all thieves. I went to that church and they said I was a thief. When was the last time you gossiped about somebody? You stole from their reputation and from your own, by the way. When was the last time you went to work and you were clocked in, but you sat for an extra hour somewhere? You thief. When was the last time you came home from work and brought one of the pencils from the office? <laughs> you know what I mean? We're all, all of us, we're all a mess. All of us, we're all infected with this. We're all, you know, we're, we're all like that. Our father was like that. Adam, he stole the fruit in the garden he should have taken. And when he did that, he stole his own life and stole all of ours as well. And it's in all of us. We're all born with a fallen nature. And it's strictly God's grace that invites us. There's nothing in us. Hands are nailed down. Feet are nailed down. We can't perform anything. We can't do anything. Both arm's length from the same Savior, from the Savior of the world, one of them starts to change internally. Nothing he can do. That's why God's nailed them there for us to see on either side of him. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, verily, verily. He adds his approval. So be it. Amen. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verily, he says. The conversion there is immediate. There's not a process. There's not you have to work your way in here. None of that would be appealing or, or a, a resolution to any of us. He just says to him, truly, I say to you, today. Today you're going to be. Now look, to the guy on the cross, that means some things more than it does to us. Because most people lasted usually three, four days on the cross when they were crucified. The longest one on record is 13 days. And this guy was knowing he was going to agonize for days, but Jesus didn't say that. He said, today. He didn't say, today you're going to be in purgatory. There ain't none. He said, you're going to be in paradise today. He didn't say there's a probationary period. You've got guts. You've been a thief your whole life. You think you can just sneak in here at the last minute? You waited too long. You've been weighing the balances, buddy. You lived a, a wicked life. You deserve your fate. Jesus couldn't say any of those things because he said, any man who comes to me, I'll in no wise cast out. That was his word, and he was the word of God. He says, verily, today, remarkable word, today, a new beginning, instantaneous more than that, he says, today you're going to be with me. You know, some of the heretics today say Jesus, you know, descended into hell and he suffered there three days. and had to get born again to come out of hell, you know, uh, because it says, uh, you know, no sign will be given this generation. But the sign of Jonah and the whales, Jonah was three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Shows uh, in the belly of the whale, so shall the son of man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. What sign would that be? There's no Pharisee or hypocrite could see him three days underground. The sign was he came out of the tomb. The resurrection was the sign, and they didn't even believe that. 
But today, Jesus said, you're going to be with me. With me. In paradise. Just think of what that means. You know, this thief, the thing that he heard when he wasn't saved was this. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The first thing he hears when he is saved is, Verily I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The second thing he hears when he's saved is Jesus talking to his mother and to his disciple John. He hears that. The next thing he experiences is it goes dark. The sun goes out at high noon, the middle of the day in the Middle East. Sun is gone. Everybody's in blackness for three hours. What is the thief thinking then? And out of the darkness, he hears this scream. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken him? And he probably thinks, oh, great, I trusted him. He said I was going to be with him in paradise. He don't sound like he's in paradise. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the light comes back again, and he hears, I thirst. And then he hears the cry, it is finished, to tell us I paid in full, accomplished. And then he hears the last word, Father, into your hands do I commend my spirit. And it says he gave up the ghost. This thief watching, listening, Father, into thy hands, he sees this beaten face. Do I command my spirit? And he watches his head fall. And Jesus is gone. And they will come, the Romans then, with mallets and break his thighs and break his shins, break the bones of those on either side so that they can't push themselves up. And because then the way they hang, they asphyxiate, they suffocate. wonder what he was thinking when they were breaking his thighs. This don't seem like paradise either. Is there a broken-hearted mother standing there? Is there a father completely broken, hanging his head? Whatever brokenness there may have been on this side, on the other side, Nail-pierced hand, clasped nail-pierced hand, and walked through the gates of heaven into the glory of the Father in heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine with the scene and the rejoicing, the angels screaming. Imagine what it was like on the other side. Incredible. Now, problem is, of course, There were two of them. And for 2,000 years, one of them has been in paradise, in heaven. And for 2,000 years, one of them has been in hell, and the heart of God has been broken. And he puts it in front of us today, imagery, so that we can see and understand. Here are two human beings, both 
guilty of the same thing. No difference between them. Both sinners. Both guilty. Neither one deserving salvation. Neither one earned it. Neither one would ever, you know, be worthy of it. And, and one of those human beings goes to heaven and one goes to hell. God puts the picture as clear as he possibly can because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he wants us to understand and look, you and I know people, maybe somebody sitting here today, you say, well, you know, I have Christian friends. Yeah, yeah, I hear. I'm going to wait till the last minute. And then I'm going to give my, I'm going to, you know, live like hell and party. And then the last minute, I, I know I'm, I'm going to give my life to Christ. You have several problems. <laughs> uh, two, at least. One is you don't know when the last minute is. When's your last minute? Would you please put it on a three-by-five card and hand it in at the end of the service? When's your last minute? You know, I have this book, The Death of Saints and Sinners, and it talks about this one guy walking down the street, got hit on the head by a tortoise and died. And here an eagle was flying over, had got this big tortoise and dropped it. Now, I hope he wasn't waiting for the last minute to get saved. You don't know what the last minute's going to be. Second of all, if you're thinking, well, you know, I mean, I'll take the last opportunity. You know, this thief is not an example of someone who took the last opportunity and got saved. This thief is the example of someone who took the first opportunity and got saved. And that's what the Lord wants for you, if you're here today or you're listening and you've never come to Christ, he wants to set you free. There is a record of Frederick the Great, King France, going into the royal prison on a day. And as he walked down the hall where all of the, the cells were, each man was saying, I don't deserve to be here. They knew he was there. I, I got blamed for this. I didn't do this. Each one telling him the same thing. And supposedly somewhere along that line, it was a guy who sat in the cell and just looked at him. And he stopped and he looked at him and he said, I'm guilty. I deserve what I'm getting. And he went through the rest of the prison, Frederick. And he said, go down to cell, whatever it was. And he said, set that guy free. Because I don't want that guilty sinner in here being a bad influence on all those other innocent men. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's on your resume. He died for you. It's all grace. You can't earn it. Your, your hands are nailed down. Your feet are nailed down. You've got nothing to bring. Nothing. In my hands I bring, strictly to his cross, I cling. Great example to all of us as we look at this, what faith really is. It's not a, after we get saved, there should be religious stuff. The seeds are planted, there should be fruit. But we don't get saved by any of that. And, and there are multitudes who are trusting, well, I send church membership. Well, the mass saves. Well, I'll get saved if, you know, if I, if I get, get baptized. You can't, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. You know, all of this stuff. No, 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 this guy couldn't do any of that. God takes him and nails him down and says, watch this guy. He's a do-nothing and a been-nothing. 
And he said, whosoever. And he gets saved because internally he does the equation. There's a fear of God. There's an acknowledgement. This is deserved. Consider my deeds. And there is a Lord. Don't forget about me. Lord, don't forget about me. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And there's a whole world that you and I live in right now that's mocking Christ, making fun of him, vilifying Christians, accusing us because we believe what the Bible says and how we should live. And those voices were all around this man, this thief. And against all of that, he, he trusted for his own life. Salvation is personal. He trusted for his own life. And his eternity was changed. So, you and I, the door open, we've become his sons and his daughters by what he's accomplished. When we get to heaven, we'll cast all of our crowns at his feet. Our King, our Savior. If you've never come, it's not about church, it's not about religion, it's not about denominations, it's not about a pilgrimage somewhere. It's not about any of that. Do you know Jesus? Not church. Do you know the risen one? God loves you so much, he puts this equation in front of you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he holds this in front of our hearts today. Two men. No difference. Both arm's length from salvation from the Savior. One gets saved. One is lost. Both have their hands and feet nailed down. Neither one of them can do anything religious. But inside inside and it needs to happen inside you today inside there's a oh god i know what i deserve and and jesus doesn't say this guy you don't know the sinner's prayer you don't know the four spiritual laws you don't understand the you know the theology of substitutionary atonement he doesn't do anything just says today verily he took he understood that man's heart was screaming loud what Jesus knew was the sinner's prayer. Truly, because of what was happening inside, today you'll be with me in paradise. He knows what's in your heart. If you've never come to Christ and you need to do that today, we're going to have the musicians come. We'll sing a last song. But, but please, it's between you and him. The equation is there. And it's sad in our culture now, two and two don't make four anymore, but the equation is there. And when anybody hears two and two is not four, their baloney meter goes off. Do the equation in your heart. He loves you. He puts it in front of us. Whatever your resume is like, whatever crime, however guilty, it doesn't matter. 
Both were the same. One was saved, one was lost. And if you know in your heart you need Christ, we'd like to invite you as we, you know, end the service today. We're going to sing a song. We're going to worship. We'd ask you to come down. Not mandatory. We'd invite you to come and stand here. Let us pray with you. We want to give you a copy of the scripture, some things to read. We don't want your email. We don't give you offering envelopes. None of that goes on. We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. Or if you decide just to stay where you are and pray the prayer and ask him, just let it be real. Just let it be genuine. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your heart, you come, stand here. If a friend came with you that's a believer who drug you here, hoping this would happen, they'll say, come on, come on, I'll get down with you. Lord Jesus, we settle our hearts and we look to you, Lord. And Lord, all of us that are your sons and daughters, the depth and the beauty and the majesty of that is beyond us, Lord, to understand. And we have not yet to the full understood who you are, the Lord of glory, omnipotent, that you reign and that you came and hung on a wooden cross. Lord, we're amazed with your with your love, we're still growing in grace and in the knowledge of who you are, Lord. So take our hearts and move them forward today in these things, Lord. And Lord, we pray for any that are here who don't know you, Lord. They only know religion. They only know stuff. Lord Jesus, they don't know you. They don't have you to sit alone with. They don't have you, Lord, to to share their tears with or their joys. They only have religion and they don't have relationship. You know them, Lord. And we ask you would draw them today, Lord. It's not our work. You're the one, your word says, who adds to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord Jesus, we ask you to do that work in our midst today that we might rejoice, Lord. Please, Lord, draw those today that you would say we look to you, we pray in your name. Amen.